Good morning, everyone. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word today. Today, from the letter to Timothy, one of Paul's young disciples who was a pastor, chapter 3, starting halfway through verse 15. So it's a little bit weird, but hang with me. It all works. Paul's words to his young protege, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with the work of your Holy Spirit to bring understanding for your word. Lord, may your spirit work in the minds and the hearts and the lives of each of us who are gathered here in this moment, in this place, those who are participating online now or even at a, at a future date already known by you. I pray for your spirit to work to teach, to instruct, to speak, to each of us what it is we need to hear from our time in worship and our time in your word this day. Lord, as you speak, as you are always speaking to us, I pray that we will have ears to hear, that the distractions in our minds will be taken away. Just move to the side for a little bit. Lord, the, uh, the inclinations of our hearts to, to wander and to resist what it is you have to say. Lord, I pray those natural inclinations will be overwhelmed by the power of your Spirit, and we will be open to hearing from you this day. Lord, for those of us who are doubting, I pray for words of conviction, words of truth to overcome doubts, words of assurance. Lord, for those of us who are just struggling in sin, whether it's be our choices or the choices of others. I pray for hope. I pray for encouragement. Lord, I pray for a renewed strength and a renewed word from you to not only press on, but to experience victory in overcoming. Lord, those of us who are discouraged because, well, life isn't working out the way we want it to, and we keep, for some reason, watching the news and filling our minds with more of that garbage, Lord, I pray for words that will remind us that you are the hand that directs all. You are the God of the living and of the dead. You are the God who reigns supreme and that ultimately every life is in your hand. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with whatever else it may be, I pray for your spirit to work, to speak, and for us to listen. As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to work, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, O oh, Father God, is lifted up, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? And I want to say welcome to those who are joining with us online today. A special welcome to my friend uh, Steve, who's watching us on Sundays and is uh, still in the last stages of, I think, recovering from pneumonia. 
Good to have you with us this morning, Steve, and pray for your complete and continued recovery from that. To all others who are watching, uh, welcome as well. Remember, you can participate in today's service in real time by texting in comments or questions, prayer praises or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. And if you are a first-time person texting in, we would love to have a name to go with the number. We would really appreciate that. We can pray for you. We can follow up with you and help you grow spiritually. And that promise applies to those who are watching at a later date, the recorded version as well. We would love to hear from you also. We're in a series on what the church is and the role of the church to be in the world. That's what we looked at last week. But today we're focusing on what it means to be the church in the Word of God. It's a simple book. Not really that simple, I guess. This book is the most feared force on the planet. It's not political ideologies. It is not nuclear armaments. It is not the presence and the pervasive presence and the power of evil in this world. This is the most feared power in the world. Nations have risen and fallen because of the Word of God. Despots have been overthrown. Civilizations have been changed. The human heart, which is the most unconquerable foe that there is, has been beaten into submission by the Word of God has been changed from selfishness to selflessness, has been changed from sin to righteousness, has been brought from death to life because of the power of the Word of God. The Bible is still banned in some countries on this planet because they fear the message that this brings to a populace. Even today, in our own society, a society where all the benefits and blessings that we enjoy in this modern world are brought to us because of beliefs and actions founded upon the Word of God. Everything good in our society is rooted in the Scriptures, but today it is becoming the enemy. And those who still hold to the Word are becoming the enemy. There is nothing more powerful, more fearsome than the Word of God. To be the church, the the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus, to be the church, we need to be a church in the Word. Why is the Word so powerful? Why is it that the Bible strikes fear into the hearts of dictators and despots and evil people around the world because the Word of God is living and powerful. Let's backtrack, get a big big picture, then bring it down to our lives today. You see, the Word of God is so powerful because God spoke creation into existence. 
God created ex nihilo from nothing, and he did so by the power of his word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. You go through Genesis 1. God speaks. Action happens. Creation results from that. The Word of God is the agent of creation. And in the New Testament, we learn that this agent of creation is not just a mystical, magical power or force, but the Word of God is actually a person of the Godhead. He is God Himself. He is of the very essence of God. The Word of God is the Son of God. That's the terminology we understand and has been revealed to us. That is powerful. Everything that is was brought into existence because God spoke. God ordained it to be. God brought it into existence. That's the power of the Word of God. The last living apostle was the Apostle John. The other apostles had already lived and preached and led untold thousands to faith in Jesus. Every other apostle had already been arrested and tortured and executed. John was the last living apostle. He was allowed to live late into life. And as he is approaching the end of his life, he writes his gospel, the gospel of John. John has had decades probably 80-some years to reflect on exactly who this Jesus was that he got to walk around the countryside with and hear teach and to see heal people, to see him die and to see him rise from the dead. And as the Holy Spirit reveals to him even more depth and understanding, this is how John begins his gospel, his good news of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. It echoes back to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word, the agent of creation, God himself, that aspect, that essence of God takes on human flesh to become our Savior. This is why the words that Jesus spoke were and continue to be so powerful. He is God in the flesh. When Jesus taught, the crowds gathered. The crowds were astounded. The crowds were amazed because they had never heard anyone teach not only the things that he taught, but the way that he taught them. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus himself said that it's his words, the things he taught, that were the dividing line between death and life. 
They were, his words are what decide eternity for people. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. It's the words of Jesus where our eternity hangs in the balance. Do we hear Jesus? Do we receive Jesus? Do we believe his teachings? Do we believe in him? Then yes, then we have been given the gift of eternal life. Do we reject Jesus? Do we not listen to him? Do we dismiss him? Do we deny him? Then there is no eternal life in us. We remain dead. We're, we're, not, we're not made dead. We're, we, we remain dead. Jesus' words are what give life. Jesus' words are living through the power of the eternal Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. That is why to this very day, the words of Jesus continue to impact the lives of untold billions on this planet if you ever had a philosophy class in college or you just wanted to delve into it because of your own psychosis and your own, your own, your own mental health issues, reading the, old, reading the words of old philosophers will give you a headache most of the time. I swear, and, and unfortunately, you know, too too many classes in, in in philosophy, and 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 yes, that's actually one of my hobbies as well. So I'm the person with the mental illness who likes to go back and read the old philosophers. I swear, most of the and they happen almost all to be men from the ancient world. Most of these men, I swear, just simply made stuff up and put it on paper. Because most of it is undecipherable. And everybody says, oh my gosh, that is so brilliant and so wise and so wonderful. It's gobbledygook. <laughs> now, of course, not all of them. There were amazing, brilliant men with lots of insights and things like that. Throughout history, there have been all these different schools of philosophers and some of them even remain active to this day. But you know what? They're very small. They're very small groups. They gather together in little seminars and little cohorts. They will be together in online chat rooms and they'll do some other online things. They are infinitesimally small. They are exceptionally self-oriented and self-centered. The words of Jesus, however, 2,000 years after he lived, continue to not only be relevant, but continue to gather new believers, new hearers, and new followers by the hundreds of thousands every day. That's the power of the words of Jesus. Because he is the word of God made flesh. And the church in the world must be a church in the word first and foremost. As Jesus is the word of God made flesh, the word that we have now is the scriptures, God's word written. The compilation of the holy writings known as the Bible 
encapsulates the entire revelation of God's person, power, plan, will, and work to redeem fallen humanity and to restore relationship with him through Jesus. That's the message of the Scriptures. And why are the Scriptures so feared by political leaders and especially despots and dictators and and those of, of ideologies opposed to this? Because in the Scriptures, we learn that God is God, they are not. And people who think they are God do not do very well realizing they are not God. It's hard enough for us when we come to faith. We realize that we are not the Lord over our own lives. We have, we have to give up. We have to, we have to give up that idea of self-centeredness and self-supremacy. We give it up because we understand we are not God. The Word of God is a huge threat to these people around the world because it says that God is God. They are not. And that a individual relationship with God is possible. Not just a part of the collective, not just a part of the mass, not just a, not just a part of the, those, those, those mindless, faceless hordes that can be so easily controlled because a life set free by a relationship with God is ungovernable and uncontrollable. The greatest fear of those who want to control. Now those lives, those whose lives are submitted to the word of God are good citizens. We uphold the laws of the land so long as they don't contradict God's laws. Those who belong to God are the, are the best a society has to offer. The most kind, the most generous, the most helpful, the most selfless. But that's a subject for another time. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the message of the Scriptures, and this truth is indestructible. Here's what the Apostle Peter writes. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God brings life and gives life. For, and then Peter quotes an Old Testament reference, all flesh is like grass and in all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Everything else will fall and fail and end up in fire. The word of the Lord will stand and endure forever. This has been proven time and time again throughout history. Every ruler, every philosopher, every uh, political leader who has tried to suppress, to extinguish the Word of God has failed. The Word of God 
in every attempt to suppress it, to squish it, to kill it, every attempt to do those things, the Word of God emerges even stronger, more resilient, more powerful, more influential than ever. That's the power of the Word of God. But we are a church. We are a church in the Word. And the Word has to take primacy in the church. As Lord Jesus has supremacy over all things. That's the greatest secret. That's the great that's the real conspiracy theory in the world is Jesus is Lord. Other groups may think they are or they're on that path, but no, Jesus is Lord over all things. He defeated death, he reigns from heaven, he is Lord. The church, the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus, the church, these, these people, us, and untold billions of others alive now, those who have gone before, those who will come after, we are the physical manifestation of the power and the presence of Jesus in this world. That's the power of the church. In the church, the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus have infiltrated every continent, every culture, every strata of society. And we are working from within to bring the will of God to bear upon this world. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians has perhaps the clearest, most powerful exposition of who Jesus truly is. The heart of that first chapter is this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. That's Jesus. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why we focus everything on Jesus. Jesus is that important. He has primacy in the church. The very first Christians, as we looked at earlier when we were going through the first part of the book of Acts this year, the very first Christians, they centered their new communal allegiance to Jesus around four core practices. I call them the core four. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But you notice, number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, in that context, the apostles' teaching was verbal. The apostles were actually there sharing the stories about Jesus and recalling the miracles that he did, recording, re relating what he said and how he said it. The stories about Jesus were endless. And those stories all then had consequences. Because Jesus did this, it means he is like this. Because Jesus said this, then we need to live like this. That's what the apostles' teaching was. But over time, as the apostles began to be executed for their faith, their teachings were put into 
written form. It's what we have as the New Testament. Not all written directly by the apostles, but all written by those who associated with the apostles. Eventually, Christians gathered more, uh, more formally on weekly gatherings. The Lord's Day, Sunday, became the day of gathered worship. And as such, the apostles' teaching still held center place in the gatherings. The word of Christ and the words about Christ must continue to be central for a church to be a church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We sing songs about Jesus. Our messages, our our, our apostles' teaching for our gathered worship is about Jesus. The very name of our church, Oak Park Christian Church, horribly bland, very nondescript, very generic. It's our street and the fact that we are a Christian church. We are Christ's one church. Christian church. Jesus is the supreme authority in the church. He is the chief shepherd. Literally, Jesus is the senior pastor. For those of you who've been around here a while, you know that I do not call myself senior pastor. That's one of the official titles I, I wear, but I don't call myself that. I don't refer, I don't, I don't like to be referred to as senior pastor. I have to sign that for some documents and things like that. But the apostle Peter says that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the chief, senior, shepherd, pastor. That's what the word pastor means. Pastor means shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, not me. Not anyone else in this town who stands behind a pulpit is truly a senior pastor if they're aligned in their allegiances to Jesus. He is the authority. His word is the authoritative standard for doctrine, belief, and behavior. One of the greatest things I've ever seen was yesterday, the coronation of King Charles. I watched it because my wife wanted to watch it. All right? She, re- she, re- she recorded it. She wanted to watch it. That kind of stuff does, does not interest me at all. I think it's ridiculous. The British tried to rule us. We shot them. We drove them off of our land. That's the way it should be, all right? <laughs> but I will say this. Part of the ceremony yesterday was amazing because it was, it was virtually an entire church service. And the Church of England virtually no longer believes in Jesus. Um, the, 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 the Anglican Fellowship worldwide is in a huge mess um, Anglicans around the world are, are rebelling against uh, the, the epicenter of the Church of England there in London because they've, they've just abandoned faith in Jesus. They've abandoned biblical doctrine, all these kind of things. And, and the Church of England worldwide, the Anglican Church, is now trying to call the Church of England back to repentance, to, to believe in the Scriptures that they have rejected. Uh, so it's a fascinating, it's, it's us, us theologian types love this kind of stuff because it's a big, it's a big, a big hullabaloo. 
But in the midst of this coronation, if, if you happen to watch it, the entire uh, 90% of the actual ceremony was an exposition that Jesus is Lord. The gospel is that Jesus, as the Son of God, came to earth to save sinners, that he lived, that he died on a cross for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, that he reigns as Lord, and that, that King Charles supposedly only reigns and only serves as a subservient emissary of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said most of the Church of England has abandoned that teaching. Most of the English population has abandoned that teaching. But here, 350 million people around the world yesterday watched and heard the gospel of Jesus. As I tweeted out, it's amazing. The gospel of Jesus has been proclaimed by a church that no longer embraces it and has been, been accepted by a king who does not personally believe it. But God gets the last laugh because his truth reigns supreme. The gospel was proclaimed. Jesus has the supreme authority. For us here at Oak Park, we simply seek to be a church of Jesus-centered people. In our Membership Matters course, for those of you who've been through it, you'll recognize these words. We have four core values, grace, truth, meaning, and community. Truth is our second core value. And this is what our statement says. Truth refers to the intrinsic nature of the Word of God embodied most perfectly in Jesus Christ and given to his followers in the Bible. The Word of God is the foundational basis for the life of individuals and the life of the church. The primary task of pastors, teachers, pastor teachers is the ministry of the Word. The Word of God must be the foundational truth, the source for all ministry in the faith community. The Bible's truth statements and principles for living must be preached, taught, and woven into the natural conversations, relationships, and activities within the community of faith. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, make them pure and holy by teaching them your word of truth. God's word is the path, is truth, it's the path to holiness. Jesus reigns supreme. And proclaiming and portraying the power of God's word is the essence of our evangelistic witness in the world. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Let's just camp there for a few moments, will we? <laughs> Father God, send your Holy Spirit right now with conviction upon all of us to do nothing with grumbling or complaining. We're just going to soak up the Holy Spirit right now for a few moments. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to call anyone out. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. But I've been in ministry over 35 years. You know what? Every single person grumbles and complains way too stinking much. <laughs> Especially to the pastor. 
And then that makes the pastor grumble and complain. You're causing me to sin. So stop it. Oh, but it's the human heart. You know, we all get our, we have our, our pettiness and our things like that. But here's Paul's point. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purposes. Yes, God still works and uses us to fulfill his purpose, even though we are weak, even though we are whiny and grumbly and complainy. But do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. A a, a wicked, perverse, a corrupt generation in which we shine like stars as we hold fast to the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, as we look to Jesus. Yes, even in our weaknesses, our faults, our failures, all of our struggles. But when we look to Jesus, and when we trust in Jesus, and when we talk about Jesus, we are shining like stars in a world that is desperately dark, and desperately in need of light and life and love. A church with Jesus at the center is this type of church for the world. How about us for every individual believer? God's word is the truth by which we're set free from Satan's sin and self. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are still held in captivity by Satan's sin or self, look to Jesus, turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus, go to the words of Jesus, soak in the words of Jesus, repent towards Jesus. Confess the weakness. Confess the sin. Rely on Jesus. Accept his grace. Accept his goodness. Accept his mercy. And then you will be set free. Set free from the condemnation, not necessarily the consequences. And it's not necessarily from the continuing struggle. But the power of sin over your life will be broken when we look to Jesus. God's word is the truth by which we are set apart. We're we're sanctified. It's how we grow spiritually. Our spiritual maturity, our pursuit of holiness. As I just referenced part of John 17, but this is how, this is what Jesus says right before this as he's praying to his father. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I remember like last week we talked about being a church not of the world, but a church in the world. Well, we're here. We're here for a purpose. Not to look like the world, not to mimic the world, not to, not to acquiesce to the world, but to shine like stars, to be in the world, but not of the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We are set apart from society and the world the more we align with Scripture. And that's becoming more and more clear in our society as our society delves into demonic delusion and more darkness. 
We look to God's word. It is the truth that reigns supreme. God's word is how we not only know God, but how we are fully known. This could be a very terrifying thought, but believe me, it is not frightening. This is freeing and fulfilling. You see, so much of our, so much of our, so much of our stress, so much of our, our, our mental illness, and so much of our emotional turmoil is because we are trying to live up to a perceived standard of society or a perceived standard within ourselves. We know that we are broken. We know that we are hurting, but yet we try to project an image that we're okay, that, we, that we're actually really good, that we've got it together, that we're all of this, but we're not. And we base our relationships on it. We, we base our work on it, our results, everything, our status. Everything is based upon a false image, and that is exhausting to continue. Because every one of us, if, 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 our, if our spouse or our, the person we're close to, our very best friend, what do we fear the most? We fear the most that they would actually know what we're thinking in our head, right? And we all know that if they really knew what we were thinking, they would no longer love us, accept us, be with us, respect us. They would say, you need to be locked up. You're a mess. That's every single one of us because it's the human heart, wicked and deceitful above all else. And so we just have this overwhelming turmoil of all these things in life of trying to be something we're not. Yet God, God sees, God knows. God knows all those thoughts we don't want God to know. Too late, it's already in the head, it's already in the ears of God. And despite knowing everything that there is to know, he still loves. He still forgives. He still accepts. He still adopts us into his family. He still calls us son. He calls us daughter. He says, you are my child. Even with all the ugliness inside. And it's that word of God that exposes it. Because if you could read the if you could read the Bible, if you could read the Word of God for more than five minutes and not be convicted both of the weakness of the self and the love of God, you're really missing something. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the power of the Word of God. It gets into the, 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 the very essence of our soul. That's why it can bring life. That's why it can regenerate us from death to life, from old to new. The power of the Word of God. Then from our text, bless you. Then from our text for opening scripture. The power of the Word of God in the life of every individual believer is this comprehensive scope in 2 Timothy. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
the New Testament, the words about Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, first and foremost, yes, give life. But the totality of the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament, the old and the new, the record of God's, who God is, the record of God's work in the world, the prequel, so to speak, of the arrival of Jesus. The scriptures in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, beginning in and back to front, all contain that which is useful for teaching, to learn, rebuking, that which needs to be confronted and changed for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The knowledge of God is not just to memorize verses of Scripture. It's not just to know the facts and the details. It's not just to know the story. It's to be transformed. It's to to think differently and to live differently because we have encountered Jesus, because we've been in the presence of God. So our habits, our lifestyles, our actions, our endeavors are all to be different because of what God has done in us. That's the power of the Word of God. And that's why as a church, we are committed to being a church in the Word. It's to be the centerpiece of everything. I'd like to have uh, the group come back up to lead us in a, a song of reflection and worship as we prepare for communion. Communion is our response to the preaching of God's Word because it is a response that brings us to Jesus and His saving work on the cross. Communion is where we take bread and we take juice. It honors Jesus for His sacrifice on the cross, taking our sin in His body and dying so that our sin could be paid for. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that was, that was shed so that our sin could be cleansed and purified. That's, just, that's what the Scriptures say. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus shed His blood, it means that we who believe in Him are cleansed of sin. And then, the body and the blood of Jesus after the sacrifice, after death, was reunited in the resurrection of Jesus to life. So that once sin was paid for, once sin was cleansed, new life, sinless life, a grace-filled life could be given. And that's what we celebrate. Would you please stand?